Blog Talk Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. The prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who are making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if... If, no, if, if nobody's a, if you, So think about it like this You need slaves to keep the economy going You don't have slaves anymore Unless people commit a crime So what do you do? You make everything a crime So suddenly the slave codes became the black code So now Black people can be arrested for vagrancy For standing outside For cursing in front of a woman For being out of town without a job All of these things which are fairly arbitrary crimes Or if crimes at all They take them and they throw them back into the prison and then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is wow. the system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited, and that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people because make, people a money, make, make a money in this country on exploited country labor, and this is one example. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hand? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. Good evening and welcome to week two of the Abolitionist Today program. We're going to start out with our reading of the 13th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. It states in Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place to their jurisdiction. jurisdiction. Max, are you there? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I hear you now. Peace. You're listening, as he said, Abolition Today. My name is Max Parthas. I'm one of your program hosts. Our sponsors include Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, Prismatic Dreams, the I Am We Prison Advocacy Network. And I'd like to give a special thank you to the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center and SAMA's Uplifting Racial Justice Committee for helping us get the broadcasting equipment we needed. We just started using it today and things are a little uncertain. So if you hear too much echo like I do or background noise, please let me know and I'll switch to our prior way of broadcasting. Yusuf? Yusuf, I'm here. This is Yusuf Hassan. I say send out as always peace and blessings to everyone that's listening. No matter where you are in the world, and 
Let's get through with the show, Max. Well, you know, we mind going through some updates of some of the things that we've been noticing this week. I mean, on everybody's lip right now, of course, is uh, the virus. And uh, absolutely, everybody's worried about it. The at least the prisoners, those behind bars and jails and prisons, are starting to get some attention about the risk that is involved with them. And we'll be talking about that later this evening. I'm also hoping to get a call in from Texas by, from a brother by the name of Eric Brown. He's working with the organizers inside Angola Prison and elsewhere, and he wants to share some news uh, from behind the enemy lines where these brothers are uh, really struggling at this point. Yusuf? Oh, that'll be great. Hopefully the brother gets the call in. Amen. I'm hoping so, too. Uh, I put out the information today, but Facebook suspended me today, and I think it was the bug that's going around. Uh, I shared the news about the government giving the trillions of dollars to uh, big businesses, and I put a quote on there from an old cartoon where they were going, I think it was Bugs Bugs Bunny, and he was going, one for you, one, two for me. Two for you, one, two, three right. for me. You know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. that violate, violated conditions. <laughs> so they suspended me like 20 minutes ago. Unbelievable. So it's, yeah, it's it's a bug that's going on I heard about. You know, I wanted to do a couple of things tonight in this broadcast. One is revisit what we heard last week in the press release for Minnesota's movement to remove the exception clause from their state constitution. Some of the things that Representative John Lesh said, the statements that he made, are very uh, commonly believed stances. And I would like to counter that tonight. Also, I want to give an impression of how this whole thing has gone global uh, through a company called G4S, which you plan on sharing some information later on tonight. But particularly across the African continent, we've been doing some research, and I found some amazing, heartbreaking circumstances in places like Ghana and Gambia and Zambia, where these prisons, usually run by G4S, have men in the most horrible, inhumane conditions you could, you could imagine. It looks like a slave ship on the video. I can't express to you the visual aspects well enough. So what I want you to do is make sure you follow us on Abolition Today on Facebook. And if you go there right now, you'll see the list under Abolition News of the videos from across the African continent of men being starved, of the uh, 60 men who live and exist in a room built for four people. Uh, They have to sit knee to back, and that's how they they sleep and live because it's the only way they can fit in there. Uh, They're barely being fed, and sometimes you don't even know what it is they are feeding them in that goulash that they they right. now. It's just heartbreaking to see, man. If it was happening here in the United States, we'd be in a revolution right now. 
But because they can get away with it in other countries, uh, they allow it to go to this ex- to these extremes. Yusuf? You know, uh, you, you really touched on it right there in the end. You know, a lot of times when things are happening in other countries, you know, we turn the blind eye to it. And I see how it ties into even what's going on with the coronavirus. You know, had it not come to the United States, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. We would have turned a blind eye to it. But as we're going to see, the company that's doing what they're doing in Africa is, you know, is the is the largest company doing the same thing here in the United States. That these the same thing is happening. We have countless articles of you know the 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 rancid food that's being fed you know to the brothers and sisters incarcerated throughout the United States the beatings the all types of testing the forced labor that's happening so this is why we do what we do we have to get this information out there because the more people learn of it the more people are going to be outraged and that's what's going to bring about change Right, we found out that these allegedly multiple companies are really one big organization like G4S and the GEO Group. Uh, for instance, you showed me today that across Europe, the largest single private employer is G4S, a prison company. The same thing yeah. has been the I mean, case if you Africa want me to get into that year. now, I'll definitely get into it. Yeah, we got like 10 minutes before the next segment, so that's for you. I want you to explain to the people who are listening today what kind of global behemoth we are dealing with that didn't even exist until like 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm going to connect the dots to where people may see this as something that's way far out, and then I'm going to show how it applies to things that we – partake in on a daily basis. So when we look at G4S, G4S started out as a company called Group 4 Falk, operating in Europe, and they combined with the company called Securicore in 2004. That's where the G4 and the S comes from. It's a combination of Group 4 Falk and Securicore. Currently, they're the world's largest security firm, 610,000 employees. They're the largest private employer in Europe and Africa. The largest private employer in Europe and Africa. It's one of the largest companies on the London Stock Exchange. So let's look at some of the other things they've done. They've purchased, they purchased Wackenhut Corrections, Corrections Corporation. We know that that's also the GEO group. But not only do they have that connection, but they also do the hiring for Core Civic. They do the hiring for Core Civic. We know Core Civic as Corrections Corporation of America. They changed their name to try to hide themselves when so much pressure came on them, and they changed their name to Core Civic. Now let's look at some of the largest shareholders. One, Invesco. Now, Invesco may not mean a lot to people. When they hear 
that Invesco owns the Morgan Stanley Retail Unit. They own Oppenheimer Funds. They own Guggenheim Investors Investments. They own Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. These are all companies where people start looking at their 401ks, they'll see these type of names on their 401ks. Also, Harris Associates is a major shareholder. Harris Associates doesn't really mean anything, but if we start hearing BMO Harris Bank, it's a major bank in the in the Midwest. The bank also is a major holder in the Bulls, the, the, the Chicago Bulls, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Chicago Blackhawks. They have uh, arenas named after them. Then we look at BlackRock. BlackRock was formerly Blackstone. And when we hear Blackstone, then that brings in Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, Barclays Global Investors, same, the ones that own, you know, the Barclays in Brooklyn associated with the Brooklyn Nets. And we start hearing names like Larry Fink and Susan Wagner. Susan Wagner is is uh, sitting on the Apple board. Bill Gates used to be a major shareholder, but he sold he he sold all of his stocks in June of 2014. Then when we start looking at the prisons, we're talking about African prisons. Well, just to name a few, and these are all the worst prisons in Africa. There's the Mile 2 prison in Gambia. There's Black Beach prison in Equatorial Guinea, where they're known to provide no food or medical services. Uh, The Maula prison in Malawi, where it's estimated one in 60 inmates die within their incarceration there. And you compare that to one in 330 in the United States, which is still bad. It's even worse there. There's the Makala prison in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Since uh, 2017, 4,200 inmates are missing, not escaped or anything of that matter, but they go in there and somehow they turn up missing. There's uh, Garagba in Central African Republic, Kadiola in Ivory Coast, Naimi in Niger, Teti Provincial in Mozambique, and Getarama in Rwanda. These are all prisons run by G4S. And we know that in the United States, just in California alone, there's estimated of 17,000 employees by uh, G4S. And as I stated earlier, they're also doing the hiring for CoreCivic. And of course, CoreCivic, which is, uh, what is it, CCX is their stock symbol. And GEO Group is also GEO. They're both traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And again, if people look into their 401ks, you'll see so many companies own stock within these companies. And you have many universities, Columbia University, and many others have divested from these uh, from these uh, stock companies. You have the New York. Uh, pension program was divested from it. Many other cities have divested from these. So our work is definitely getting out there. We're definitely starting to make a dent, but we need to do more. Yeah, man. And and that's great in-depth information. Uh, really letting people know that what we created here in the United States with prison for profit has gone global. 
And it's not, I mean, it's already slavery here. But in other right. places, it's, it's horrible crimes against humanity. And you could lay the feet of all of this. I mean, lay, lay, the results of all of this right at the feet of Joe Biden and the Clintons. Uh, I had done some research a couple of years ago on a GEO group. And let me read just a small portion of what I found out. Okay. The Wackenhut Corrections Corporation, WCC, was formed as a division of the Wackenhut Corporation, now a subsidiary. Subsidiary. You got to excuse me, but this echo in my ears is driving me nuts. No, you're fine. You're fine on my end. All right. Of G4S Secure Solutions. In 1984, it was incorporated as a Wackenhut subsidiary in 1988. In July of 1994, in tandem with the Omnibus Crime Bill, WCC became a separately traded public company. In 2003, WCC management raised funds to repurchase all common stock held by G4S, changing its name to the GEO Group Incorporated. So like we said earlier, all of these companies, you even put CCA into the batch, which is now called CoreCivic, they're all really one big conglomeration of slavers. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've got about three minutes before we go into our next uh, news segment. So do you want to follow up on any of this? Well, I, I want to say to anyone that's listening, if they are on the uh, Blog Talk Radio website, blogtalkradio.com slash abolition today, you know, just put a comment saying hi. Just let us know you're on the air. We'll acknowledge you, and our phone lines are going to be open up later. Our telephone number is 515-605-9814 for anyone who wants to call in. Max will give you the signal as to when to call in and when to raise, when and how to raise your hand to be get recognized. I hope I didn't lose you, Max. Max? Okay, seems that we may have lost Max for a moment. Oh, I hope I'm not disconnected. Can you hear me now? Can you hear I me hear now? you now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. I had muted myself That's okay. last week. Because this echo is driving me nuts. But anyway, um, we start our open line call-in segment at 8.05, and you just gave out the number. We'll give it out again later. If you want to speak at that period, please press the number one on your uh, pad there, and it will indicate that you have something to say. All right, so I want to get into last week's conversation and I got to play a few clips uh, about it. You know, as I said, Senate, a, a Representative John Lesh made some bold statements. Uh, he yeah. said, A, that slavery, he said that prisons don't buy and sell human beings. He said that you can't force prisoners to work. As a matter of fact, verbatim, I think he said, at the end of the day, you can't make anybody do anything. I mean, <laughs> so far from the truth. 
So give me a second. Let me get up here to the control panel. And I am going to play first, in his own words, Representative John Lesh. This is what he said, and we want to counter these perspectives that are commonly accepted as true. Here you go. Everyone, I'm State Representative John Lesh, and we're here today uh, to introduce the constitutional amendment that would ban slavery from the Minnesota Constitution. A question for the legislators who are working on this. Have you faced any opposition so far? Uh, no, we were waiting to, uh, for a word from the Department of Corrections because a common question was, what does this mean for uh, prison labor? Um, and we had several answers for that first, which it's, it's not the same. Slavery is not the same as uh, being sentenced to prison and, and having to work. Um, it's not buying or selling of a human being, and at the end of the day, you really cannot force someone to do something in prison. Um, however, this morning, the Department of Corrections got back to us and said that they are in support of the amendment, so we were really pleased to hear that. Um, but I have not heard any or of any other organized opposition. <laughs> well, there oh, it is man. in his own words, you see. And for our listeners, this is a common held uh, misconception about what we're dealing with. So let's start with the first thing that he mentioned, and he said that slavery is not the same as prison labor. That's a, a representative in the from the House of Representatives acting like he doesn't know that we have and have had convict leasing in this country. <laughs> I mean. From 1865 right. until today, we have had convict leasing. It was allegedly Absolutely. abolished in 1928 or 1921, depending on who, what historians you're reading, after a cave-in happened in Alabama that killed like 148 black men and women and children who had been sentenced basically to death to be worked to death in these mines. And a cave occurred, uh, the whole lot of them, and the world was outraged and insisted that the U.S. stop using convict leasing. But I want to play a clip directly from PBS, and it was the introduction of the book and film by the name Slavery by Another Name. So listen to this as a counter. Now, a history of forced labor after the Civil War. A new documentary that airs tonight on PBS tells the story of how American citizens, freed by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, remained under lock and key for decades afterward. Slavery by Another Name, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book of the same name, tells the story of the thousands of African Americans who were arrested on trumped-up charges and forced to work as convict labor. In many cases, they were sent to the South's coal mines, including some owned by businessman and former slave owner John Milner. Historians and actors describe it in this excerpt. After emancipation, industrialists replaced slaves with convicts, acquiring thousands from state and county governments. You can't drive free labor the same way that you can force prisoners to mine five tons of coal a day. And this is why people like Milner wanted prisoners in his coal mines. He saw them as a great source of profit, and he didn't have to worry about labor disputes. He didn't have to worry about labor disputes. 
This was comic leasing happening in modern America. And she made an error by saying thousands. It was hundreds of thousands who were incarcerated. Between the period of the Emancipation and the 13th Amendment, uh, 1863, 1865, and 1868, the prisons in the South went from 90% white populated to 90% black populated. And the specific reason that this transfer of racial occupancy occurred is because of convict leasing. Big, big business in the United States. As a matter of fact, uh, in Alabama, to the best... What the hell just happened there? Pardon me, you guys. Take over for a second. Do you want to go keep going or do you want to pull up what you were trying um, to do? I think, can, do you hear the echo now? Am I all right? You're good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this new equipment is driving me nuts. Pardon me. We're going to get better week after week. But, I'm, you know, we're, we're getting things together. So, anyway, uh, slavery continued in Alabama. In Alabama of the Civil War, I believe 90% of the revenue came from slavery. At the uh, By 1879 or so, 75, I'll get the information and share it. Their wealth came from, 80% of it came from convict leasing. So they went from slavery to convict leasing and their revenue barely changed. You see? Right. That's that's exactly it. And we see that that carried on generation after generation, convict leasing, unicor, whether we want to call them prison industrial con, uh, complex. It just kept taking on different names, different names, slavery by another name. We saw it continue, and it continues to this very day that we still have it going on. You know, next week I think I'm going to come with the list of the top 50 companies that actually benefit from having slave labor. And I'm just going to focus on the companies where the prisoners are getting no money, not even talking about the ones that make 25 cents, 35 cents. We're going to just focus on the ones that are getting absolutely nothing for it, and they'll be sent to solitary if they don't work to debunk the you-can't-force-people-to-work So, All right. So, there we go. so yeah, as you explained earlier about these prison companies being traded globally on NASDAQ and in Tokyo and uh, the New York, wherever it's being, stocks are being sold, they're sold publicly. Right. We've explained in last week's episode that when you're buying these stocks, you're buying the idea that these beds would be filled with people. So in essence, you're buying people. But he mentioned representative Yeah, and and their labor, which is really like gravy because their main income comes from warehousing bodies. So every bed is worth X amount of dollars per year. 
Right. One of the statements that John Lesh, Representative John Lesh said, the next one was that slavery, uh, well, no, prisons don't buy and sell human beings. Correct. I want to play a clip from Brave New World called Immigrants for Sale. Apparently, a journalist snuck into an auction of the Bill Clayton Detention Center in Littleville, Texas. Yeah, and, that's a great clip. Right. Please, pr- it is please, literally please an auction that. of human beings being sold by the prisons in their own words. So without further ado, here you go. The detention center that I'm going to sell today really is state-of-the-art. It's as good as it can possibly get. You have the people coming into that pipeline, so you have an endless supply of products. No matter what your business is, what you're looking for, we will have a steady supply of people in America to fill this facility. I'm asking you want to find million five. Again, that's from Brave New World, yeah, Brave New World, and it's called Immigrants for Sale. That's just a small clip of it. You literally heard this prison auctioneer tell his potential buyers that Mm -hmm. no matter what your business is or what you're trying to achieve, there will be a steady supply of people, product. He called them freaking product there be a steady supply of product in America to fill this prison. That was the selling point. And the bidding started at $5 million. Yusuf? Yeah, and, you know, another thing that we have to take into account is these private companies have contracts with state and federal prisons to house 80 to 100% or have 80 to 100% capacity that it's mandatory upon the state and the federal government to house 80 to 100% capacity or they can sue them for these empty beds and you know the breakdown to the cost per bed what is it up to now, Max? Somewhere in the forty thousands per bed per year per prison. Well, it prison? depends on what state you're in. The cost to incarcerate a single adult, which is much less than a child, sixteen, fifteen years old, ranges from around twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars a year in Florida, which is the fast food restaurant of prisons, to as right. much as a quarter of a million dollars a year in Rikers Island. Right. So the northern states actually make more money on slavery than the southern states. And then we have to ask the question, how can you guarantee me 80% to 100% capacity? And that's what they do. In Arizona, they have a 100% capacity contract for 25 years guaranteeing that those beds will be filled Colorado had it at one time I think they uh, canceled their contract but they also have what's called a low crime tax 
which is passed on to the taxpayer. And if those beds are not filled, the taxpayer has to make up the difference in what the prison would have made. <laughs> it's amazing. And, yeah. you know, there was one other thing I wanted to point out uh, about where he said that prisoners are not being forced to work. I'm going to play a clip right. about that, but I want to read something. And this comes from the United Nations Standard Minimum Rules for the Treatment of Prisoners. Number two, mm-hmm. all prisoners under sentence shall be required to work subject to their physical and mental fitness as determined by the medical officer. It's all stated very clearly in the ACA standards. Correctional mm-hmm. standards promulgated by the American Correctional Association provide that sentenced inmates who are generally housed in maximum, medium, or minimum security prisons be required to work and be paid for that work. Some states require, as with Arizona, all able-bodied inmates to work. That's a requirement right there in their rules in the American Correctional Association. Yeah, that sounds forced <laughs> to me. That doesn't sound like I have, if, if I'm there, it doesn't sound like I have an option as to whether or not I want to work. You don't. There is no option as, well, you know what, let's just play the next clip, next clip, which will explain it further. And then we got one more to clip after that, a little bit of something I want to talk about, and we'll go to the next segment. This comes okay. from John Oliver, and it's about forced prison labor. But there are some major differences between the jobs people do in prison and the ones they do on the outside, particularly when it comes to money. The average wage in prison is around 63 cents per hour. And remember, that's the average. So that means there are states where prisoners make considerably less. In Texas, Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama, prisoners are not paid for their work at all. And in some places, they're required to work under threat of disciplinary action. If they say, no, I'm not going to work, they can write you up for that. They can send you to solitary for that. That's that's, that's slavery. To to work for free and then they can can put you in solitary if you don't work or write you up for not working for free. Why is that not slavery? Yeah, that's not good because why is that not slavery? It's one of those questions that even if you have to ask it, something has already gone very wrong. Like, how many swastika tattoos? Or which of Mommy's nightstand drawers did you open? Things are already bad. We just need to figure out how bad. And the answer to why is this not slavery is, well, it's not exactly not slavery. Because it turns out treating prisoners as slaves is literally written into the Constitution. The 13th Amendment states that slavery is abolished except as a punishment for a crime. And the amendment abolishing slavery is really not the one that you want to suddenly include the word except. And look, I I know that to many, inmates are not a naturally sympathetic group of people. In fact, when there was a push to get a higher wage for those working behind bars a few years ago, these people on Fox found it hilarious. Inmates behind bars are now suing for the minimum wage for the work they're doing behind bars. Should that be a crime? He says he deserves minimum wage. 
as if crime pays. Why let crime pay? Exactly. Crime should not pay. It's very simple. Common sense is very simple. Common sense is very simple. Again, that's from John Oliver. He's in the depth about forced prison labor. And he's one of the most well-versed people I know about this system. He has, well, we've got a list from his program where he covers every aspect of modern-day slavery. And he points out right there, the 13th Amendment is not the place that you suddenly want to have an exception clause. And you got conservatives making a big joke out of slave labor. Right. And for those that want to see the entire clip that's on YouTube, it's listed as prison labor last week tonight with John Oliver. You can see the entire clip. I believe it's about 18 or 19 minutes. Very good clip. I try to keep all of the videos and news video clips uh, on our YouTube page for abolitionists abolition today but we need to get a hundred subscribers before we can get the uh name abolition today under youtube.com so if you get a chance check us out on facebook at abolition today click the youtube links that we're providing and subscribe all right i got one more to close this out yusuf we're going to drive a the final nail in this coffin of these misconceptions and wrong thinking about what we're dealing with with prison slavery. What I'm about to No, you're doing great. You laying it out before the jury. Make it plain. The jury is listening. What I'm about to play for you is a report on a commercial that was made by the prison industry in order to appeal to private industry to stop using public labor and start using prison labor. In the U.S., the market for cheap labor is booming behind bars. In the last 15 years, partnership between prisons and private manufacturers has increased significantly. They're becoming America's very own Chinese-style manufacturing line behind prison walls. Prisons, in fact, advertise themselves as such, as an alternative to outsourcing cheap labor to China or elsewhere. On the web, we came across this pitch that prisons prepared to persuade private sector companies to come and do business with them. Take a look. There is not enough uh, folks that will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that historically has been going out of this country and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And it's, it's absolutely a, a perfect idea. I have a workforce that does not have car problems or babysitting problems, etc. They're always here and they're always willing to come to work. Bring your business to our labor. A wide variety of industries take advantage of prison labor. Among many other things, prisoners make clothing, textiles, electronics, furniture, and even solar panels. Just as we're trying to get China to stop uh, with their prison labor, ours is at the same time increasing. Hundreds of companies have used prison labor directly or through subcontractors, including Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, and others. They qualify for federal tax breaks. Uh, They can get uh, recompensated up to 40% of the wages that they pay to these inmates. We as taxpayers, we have to house, feed, and provide medical care and, and everything for all of these inmates. 
We do this as taxpayers. It comes out of the, the tax pools. And that keeps the actual prison workforce healthy and in shape to go out and perform these jobs for these private companies. Hard working and reliable. Inmates show up for work every day voluntarily. Work in prison is mandatory, and the choice many inmates have is whether to work for a government-run prison industry for less than a dollar an hour or a private one for a minimum wage of around six dollars. Unicor is a government-owned corporation that uses prison labor to produce all kinds of goods, mainly for other government agencies. 175 different types of products and services. You see the variety listed on their website. They, too, partner up with private firms now. Last year, Unicor's revenue reached $900 million. As far as private prisons are concerned, two of the country's biggest prison corporations made $3.3 billion last year alone. Private prisons are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They are for-profit companies. And the uh, savings that they reap from using inmate labor um, go to their bottom line. It's money they otherwise don't have to spend in order to keep the facility run. Large prison populations and harsh sentences result in greater profits. America's three major private prison companies spend around $45 million over the past 10 years on lobbying state and federal governments for supporting immigrant detention, mandatory minimum sentences, three strikes laws, and other legislative measures that contribute to the growth of America's gigantic prison population. The U.S. now holds more people behind bars than any other nation. More than two million. That's one quarter of all prisoners in the world. From a cost-effectiveness point of view, the $45 million that private prisons have reportedly spent over the past decade lobbying to keep prisons full is peanuts compared to the billions that they make every year. One can argue about the many causes and effects of America's skyrocketing incarceration rate, but since prisons became a for-profit industry in the U.S. 30 years ago, the number of prisoners has gone up dramatically. Not to say that it was the only cause behind the spike, but many argue it was part of it. And now with the cheap labor market expanding behind American bars, one is wondering whether the justice system in the U.S. is adopting market values. There you have it. I think uh, we killed that horse. <laughs> in their own words, we had the slave yeah. auction happening in modern society in their own words we had the commercial where they're appealing to private business to use slave labor talking about we got a workforce that don't have days off they don't have babysitting problems they don't have transportation problems and they're willing and ready to work every day right so I'm going to go from Representative John Lesh, who has now been and move on to a brother by the name of Joe Gerardo from The Root. <laughs> we talked about Minnesota last week. We played the whole press conference and we thought critically about it. We understand what caused all of this and why they're doing it. But apparently Joe Gerardo at the root does not know anything about this movement at all. I mean, there's an with the article that they published is just full of uninformed and offensive crap. And it's the root published it. There's no critical thought, no journalistic investigation behind the reasons for such a historic amendment 
change in a national trend, just as off-the-cuff, uneducated, and misinformed opinion sent to the entire readership. As fact, um, let me read it verbatim. He said, Minnesota isn't the first state to do this, as Colorado removed slavery from its constitution back in 2018. I mean, this is cool, but it seems like one of those instances where folks are going to pat themselves on the back for doing the right thing. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't erase the shame of slavery. It's the legislative equivalent of the director's cut of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Like, yeah, I guess this is marginally better, but there are fundamental problems here that can't be solved with some minor tweaks. Oh, my God, man. This is what you're telling everyone nationwide. So live on air right here. I am openly challenging staff writer for The Root, Joe Gerardo, to a debate on our broadcast, Abolition Today. If you want to help us get his attention, then please send him a PM with a link to tonight's broadcast. He's at Joseph Boy Wonder on Facebook and Twitter. The program link is blogtalkradio.com. Abolition Today. Just shoot it to him and say, you should listen to this. You were issued a challenge. Now, here's two questions that we will debate if you're willing to take up this challenge. Number one, is legal slavery in America a thing of the past? It's a good question because you just talked about it like it is. And number two, does removing pro-slavery language from state and federal constitutions help anyone just those two questions if you're willing contact me as soon as possible and we'll set it up because you yes, are literally misinforming people with ignorance all right Yusuf, any final comments on that whole segment before we go to our music break and uh yeah i really just <laughs> hope we get it well i hope we get joe gerardo in front of us i really hope so I hope so, too, because it's people like him who are miseducating everyone around them in their own ignorance. And to put out an article that only has this little blurb about how you personally feel with no investigation whatsoever is journalistic misconduct. (laughs) So take us up on our challenge. Uh, I'm going to introduce our music segment like I said, an, a movement needs needs music, and we are going to make sure we give you the hottest and best music that we can find for the abolitionist movement. This is from Christopher Vernado. He was originally discovered as a homeless person who was caught on tape doing poetry and song, and it became so popular that a record company financed a music video for him, and we're airing it here live tonight on Abilene Today. Brother Man, Bernardo.
All right, that was Brother Man by Christopher Bernardo. It was, man. I was at one point. I was almost in tears listening to that brother and nodding my head. He was covering wow. all the bases. But uh, we're gonna have music like this every week, and at the end of the year, we will provide you with a full list of all the tracks that we played for the abolitionist movement here on Abolition Today. Um, you know, I thought you were gonna say we were gonna have a. Uh... A prismatic dreams mixtape release or something, <laughs> man. We actually already have one of those. It's called the Whispered Words Abolitionist Mix. And if you look it up on YouTube, Whispered Words Abolitionist Mix, you'll find 22 videos put together about the movement, and it's all music and poetry. <laughs> you see right. what I did there, right, Max? <laughs> A clap. Speaking of, it is that time, brother, and we are running a little, a little late, but it's okay. Um, we are coming with our next segment, which is you, Yusuf, and I called it your chopping block, where you take a few minutes and cover whatever it is you want to cover. So, ladies and gentlemen, Hassan's chopping block. <laughs> sure. Uh I want to cover an article from it was from last year, but uh, it was it was the anniversary of it. So I said, you know what, let me just, you know, give the brother a shout out. Many, many know him. Michael Cord. He's an attorney out of Philadelphia. His law firm is actually called the Nat Turner Law Firm. And he had an article published in the Philly uh, Tribune last year called Drapetomania, Compliant Black Sane. Resisting Black Insane. And in 1968, there was a doctor by the name of Samuel Cartwright. He was a uh, psychologist and surgeon who practiced in Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. And he he came up with a word called drapetomania and described it as a disease that makes enslaved Blacks want to escape or otherwise resist. He actually had it eventually published in certain journals of medicine, especially uh, in the uh, Louisiana State Medical Association, that this idea of wanting to escape slavery was some mental condition. And he also, uh, let me, you can actually read the article. It's, it, that was the name of the article. It's dated March 15, 2019. Uh, I'm going to actually post it on our Abolition Today page as well. Drapetomania, Compliant Black Sane, Resisting Blacks Insane. So in Cartwright's article, he claims science proved blacks had smaller brains, more sensitive skin, and overdeveloped nervous systems, all of which resulted in them being naturally servile. Therefore, according to science, he argued, the Negro is a slave by nature, and never be happy in any other condition. He invented the term drapetomania after combining the Greek words for runaway and madness to describe any black man, woman, or child who didn't want to be bought, sold, traded, leased, and or held in brutal bondage forever with no rights whatsoever. He continued by saying, it is unknown to our medical authorities, although its diagnostic symptom the absconding from service is well known to our overseers. The cause that induces the Negro to run away is as much a disease of the mind 
as any other species of mental alienation and much more curable. <laughs> yes, this is exactly what this guy put out. He, but he didn't stop with diagnosing enslaved blacks. He also created a term that applied primarily to so-called uppity free blacks by stating the uh, thesia Ethiopica, basically meaning the abnormal and constant laziness of Ethiopians and Africans, is a disease affecting both mind and body and is much more prevalent among free Negroes living in clusters by themselves than among slaves. And the article continues. You know, I, it's, it's just the absurdity, absurdity to that. And we know that this type of mentality goes on today. And even if we just take race out of it, but just the mere fact that so many people would consider us insane for even taking on this endeavor because they believe, oh, slavery is over because we've been taught in school that the 13th Amendment freed the slaves. That's all we were ever taught. Most people, if we took a survey, we would find out that they've never actually read the 13th Amendment, the actual wording of it. This is why so many people, this is like a shock when they find out that this exception clause is there, which led to, you know, things such as 13th, the film, the documentary film. So it's it's unnatural for this, although this guy tried to make it a, a medical jargon and medical, uh, put a medical terminology behind it. It's not natural to want to be want enslaved. I'm sorry, Matt? Wow. It's not natural to want freedom, at least not for black people, because right. they are destined for, for, yeah, to it's, be it's, enslaved. It's not natural to, to, to want to be free. It must be something wrong with you. You're insane if you're trying to be free. These are the ideas and philosophies that have built the understanding we have today. Wrong ideas and insane philosophies. Yeah. Any more to that? Did you want to add it, Yusuf? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that was that was the gist of it. That was the gist of it. Just you know, wanted to put out on the airwaves just some some of the mentalities that we're combating and bringing about this information. There's so there's so much misinformation out there as we heard in all of the clips from earlier so much misinformation and people are going to make it seem as though we're crazy that we suffer from drapedomania because we're out here talking about freedom at a time when people think that they're free quiet storm said i'm a butternut because i crave freedom uh I think the new th- uh, <laughs> the new thing should be on Twitter should be hashtag Draftomania made me do it. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're crazy for trying to get freedom. Thank yeah. you for uh, that information, brother. I, I'm going to cut the next segment a little short and just read some headlines. I set aside a few minutes to tell what's happening with the COVID-19 situation in regards to inmates and the incarcerated. So let me just read a few quick headlines from Common Dreams, 
It says, applauding release of prisoners in Ohio due to coronavirus threat. ACLU calls an official calls on officials nationwide to do the same. So apparently Ohio is releasing some people. And then you have um, Channel 2 News. Marilyn Mosby ordered staff to stop prosecuting drug possession, prostitution, and other crimes amid the coronavirus. And the next one after that is for New York Daily, and it says coronavirus prompts Board of Correction to call for release of inmates from New York City jails. And I believe one more um, comes from MassLive.com, and it says coronavirus. Suffolk District Attorney Rachel Rollins to release inmates vulnerable to COVID-19 and who pose no meaningful risk to public safety. I want to applaud all of the district attorneys across the country who are making this kind of move, uh, which, I mean, when you go to, when you try to think about it, should be standard operating procedure, but we're going to applaud people for doing stuff that they're supposed to do. Right. I was going to say I, I applaud them, and at the same time, I want to knock them upside their head. <laughs> like because... the dude from the video the other day that we put out where he's like, um, give yourself a round of applause. Sound like something. Exactly. Gave him the slow clap. Yeah, gave him the <laughs> slow clap because it should have been done years ago. And it just goes <laughs> to show that. Just as easily as they, just with the swipe of a pen, they can let all of these people go because the the vast majority are just sitting there because they can't afford a bail. No risk to society. Many of them low-level crimes. Some people sitting in there for just not being able to pay a fine. You know, they don't have a job, so they can't pay a fine. They end up having to do 15 to 30 days in jail. Or you have a guy, he tested with a dirty urine. You know, he smokes weed or he has some type of other, he has some type of problem, drug or alcohol problem, and they always incarcerate his problem as opposed to giving him proper treatment. So he's sitting in jail. And now they want to they send them out. But we know of why they actually have many of them sitting there because the mere fact of having someone sitting there is earning money. It always comes right. down to the money. Money and racial and class control. Absolutely. Uh, examples would be like Khalif Browder in Rikers Island. Everybody knows he was sent to prison at 16 years old uh, behind an allegation that he stole a backpack. He spent three years behind bars in an adult prison where he was abused by both the guards and the inmates. A child in one of the most brutal prisons on earth. And the cost of incarcerating just him was $353,000 a year. $353,000 a year for one person. And he was denied a fair trial uh, for three full years while they tried to force him into a plea bargain to admit to being guilty to something he had not done. And he'd already spent three years in prison. For that, by the time he got out, he was so changed and so affected that it pushed him 
to suicide. And his mother died right behind him. So both of their deaths are directly uh, the responsibility of the New York justice justice system. Yeah, because Uh, when there's... I was just going to say, you know, that there's a price on a person's head. You know, it's 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 factored in. They have these quotas to make because that's how they can guarantee this eighty to a hundred percent population in these in these jails and prisons. So when they get someone, they go after them, and they really go after them. This is why so many of them are so uh, hungry and eager when they get someone on their radar because they're looking at the price tag attached to that person. Right. Many counties and cities uh, wouldn't exist without the incarceration fees and fines that they uh, submit people of color to by mass majority every day. Absolutely. The Department of Justice, remember, investigated Ferguson and found out that's exactly what they were doing. They were working the sheriff's department was working directly with the city council in order to raise fines and fees and tickets to generate more money for the city's budget. So when you're talking about a child with a $350,000 bounty on his head, uh, the incentive is not about justice. So let's talk about it. We want to open up the mics now and allow our callers uh, to call in and ask questions or make a comment, please keep it brief uh, and to the point. Our call-in number is 515-605-9814. And if you just press the number one, we'll know that you want to say something. So uh, just press number one, if, and you can call in as 515-604-9814. In the meantime, you and me are going to continue talking about it. So, Yusuf? Yeah. Uh, while we're waiting for the callers to call in, we'll send out a couple of acknowledgments. Uh, Jeff Humfeld is on the line. Uh, I'm not too familiar with Jeff, so I don't know where he's calling in from. But he says, welcome back on the air. Your message is so needed in these <laughs> That's times. Missouri. Oh, Missouri, Uh, right, Ferguson, right on point. (laughs) Right on point. And, of course, the ever-present Jeanette Smith. She's been a longtime supporter. Uh, She says, I also can't connect online with my phone. I'm listening through phone number. Great show, guys. Very informative. Thank you, Jeanette. Much appreciated, Jeanette. Uh, we, We are proud to know you and appreciate all the work that you have done on behalf of the abolitionist movement and um, look out for a call from me in the future. I got another job for you. <laughs> <laughs> and well, of course, our brother quiet storm spoken word too. Amen. Peace. Quiet storm. Um, he said, <laughs> Oh yeah, I see it now. I'm a button up because I crave freedom. Yeah. Going back to that trade <laughs> domain. Right. <laughs> Quiet Storm was part of the movement back in 2010, the March 4th for Freedom movement. So uh, a lot of the people around us are longtime abolitionists and activists who have put 
an effort in trying to make a difference in this. All right. So it looks like we just got another caller in. But awesome. oh, there you go. Your hand is up. Um, I am going to unmute you. Eight one six nine two one. You're on air with Abolition Today. Eight one six nine two one. Somebody out of Kansas City. Yep, this is this is Jeff. <laughs> hey, Pete. I'm sorry. Jeff. Hey, hey, Jeff. How's it going? To- well, Welcome not to too program, bad. Um, you know, you, you mentioned something about the, the releases um, from prison and yes. from jails of people that were, um, you know, susceptible to, to COVID-19. And I found it very interesting that what they were saying was that these were people, they were releasing people that were, um, of course, subject to this, this disease but also um, that were of no threat to um, the general public. And that, of course, made me think, well, then why the hell were they there in the first place? Bingo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is exposing but, the truth right now. They never had to arrest these people or incarcerate them from the very beginning. It's a money-making scheme, and it's racially motivated, uh, and it's about profit and control. Amen. Anyway, not, like I say, guys, it's good to hear you back on the air. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. We appreciate that. Talk to Jeff you soon. Jeff has been a witness uh, to the trials that I've had to endure these past two years. You know, uh, there was a time when people didn't think I'd be here today, but here I am. Uh, God gets all the glory. Amen. All right, brother. Is uh, Jeff part of Missouri Care? Yes. Okay. Okay. I vaguely recall him now. I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember a couple years ago during the last election when Jeff, I believe it was Jeff, had um, the leader, the presidential candidate for the Green Party. What was her name? Yusuf? Uh, I don't recall offhand. Jeff, you're, well, he's not on. Anyway, he had the presidential candidate the Green Party on, and he talked to her about the 13th Amendment. And she sat and listened, and then she said, you know, you're right. That is a problem that we should have to deal with. And I'm going to think about it and figure out how we can address it. And she never mentioned it again. This is why I know some of these politicians know already what the problem is, but they have no right. intention of doing anything about it. Oh, Jill Stein. Stein. Yeah, I remember yeah, Jill now. Stein. Yeah, Jill right. Stein. Jill Stein. I mean, uh, I listened to it not too long ago, her talking with him about it, and it just blew my mind. But it wasn't surprising because I see that happen often. It's a problem they feel is insurmountable because prison in this country is too big to fail. Exactly. And, you know, what what was that candidate's name, either in North Carolina or South Carolina? He ran actually on that platform, on the abolitionist platform. That was David Comer, and he ran for Congress on an abolitionist platform, like you said, uh, I went out and plugged for him. We went to events together, and we pushed him on the radio programs. 
and try to get him, you know, out there. Uh, I was considered a consultant for his ca- campaign, and he was well received by the voting populace. But he was uh, campaigning against somebody with unlimited funds and with insider contacts, and you know how that turned out. I was a little bit upset at the Green Party in particular, which he ran through the Green Party, for the lack of support that they gave him because they viewed what he was doing as too radical. Yeah, of course, because it's 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 uh it's going after their money. I mean the prison system competes with the banking system and competes with big pharma. It's right up there, top three corporations in America. Have you yeah. spoke, have you uh, had any contact with him lately? He gave up on politics <laughs> after that. He was a music <laughs> teacher who saw what was going on around him and wanted to do something about it. So uh, he ran for Congress, and he wasn't the only one. Dimitri Cherney out in South Carolina ran for uh, Congress. No, he ran for Senate on an abolitionist pl- platform which was amazing. We saw during the years of 2016 and 18, at least eight different candidates run on an abolition platform. And I'm very proud to have supported all of them. Uh, We're coming to the end of our program, Yusuf. We got about five minutes left or five minutes left before our final segment. And uh, we can cover anything you want to talk about at this point. I can't believe it. Where does the time go? It's a smooth running ship, ain't it? Yeah, (laughs) man. The time just goes so fast. (laughs) It does. And it's so much to say and so little time. Yeah, we're, Uh, we're we're, we're slowly unpacking, unpacking. Unpacking. We're building up. We're building up to uh, where we're really going to go with this show. We have so much to cover, so much to delve into when we start getting inside of the amendments, getting inside of the constitutions of each state and what's being done in each state. So we're going to be breaking down the numbers in upcoming shows. We're going to be digging into the Constitution in upcoming shows. Many more things to look forward to. So I encourage our listeners, you know, to be ready to go on this journey with us because it's going to get bigger and better. We have a lot of information to this. Max has been at this since Lawrence Myers. Can I say that, Max? Since Lawrence Myers, exactly. Yeah, Uh, you've been at it. And and what was that, in the 80s? 95. What year did that happen? 95. 95. Right. Uh, You've been at it since 95. I've been at it as abolition since 2009. Prior to that, you know, it was more of just uh, the prison industrial complex. At the time, I I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what to call it until Max threw the word at me. That's where I was at. I think that's where most people are at. They know something's wrong, but they don't have that critical bit of information that changes everything. 
And the critical yeah. information is the 13th Amendment itself. When you read it for the first time, it kind of blows your mind. You're like, wow, it's right there. Right. <laughs> and then it makes sense. You know, everything starts clicking together. Why these things are occurring and why we have the largest prison population in the history of humanity on planet Earth. Uh, and why it's so racially and class motivated. Um, Absolutely. One of the examples I would point out is our prosecutorial pool, which in itself does a few things. One, it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt institutional racism exists. And it does that by having a 95% white prosecutorial pool. So 95% of all prosecutors across the country are white. 79% of them are white men. And they spend most of their days prosecuting people of color and forcing them to take a 95% plea bargain rate, which is a violation of the Sixth Amendment, which guarantees you a right to a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers. Nobody's getting that. These prosecutors, majority white prosecutors, which are obviously racially biased, are collectively committing genocide and slavery. Yusuf? Yeah. So it shows that things are working as planned. The system isn't broken. It's, it's, it's operating exactly as it was planned to operate. And most people have just gone along with it. But if you ask the average person that's been in prison, been in jail, they'll tell you it's slavery. That's the word that they've always used. And while I'm thinking about it, I like to, you know, give an acknowledgement to any who are currently incarcerated, whether in a county jail or in a state prison, federal prison. You just want to let you brothers and sisters know that you're not forgotten that there are people no. out here that are actually on the front lines trying to make conditions better, trying to get sentencing reform, trying to get alternatives to incarceration, and above all else, trying to remove slavery from the prison system. Amen. Uh, definitely shout out to the brothers organizing uh, behind enemy lines and are risking their lives to organize uh, the Free Alabama Movement the Decarcerate Louisiana Movement, the Decarcerate South Carolina Movement, uh, the JLS, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. All of these brothers mm -hmm. and sisters behind bars are literally risking their lives. They've been brutalized. Uh, kinetic Justice spent over two years in solitary confinement for his organizing uh, actions. Uh, some brothers have been beaten down brutally for what they have done to help this movement, but they are the ones who are affected by it directly. You right. Know? In their list of demands, for instance, is one of the things they asked for was a way to file grievances. Because right now they can't even make a complaint if they're being brutalized or exploited or anything. And the courts won't. And the courts won't intervene. Right, courts won't intervene. Yeah, they For very rarely reason, take up a case about prison conditions. That's it. 
Well, Brother Yusuf, we have come to the end of our part of this program, but the program is not over. We have one more segment. Uh, we really want you to stay online and continue listening to what we call Bridging the Gap. Uh, I'll tell you the details in a moment, but for the time being, let's make our final comments for the night. Yes, I'd like to uh, quote Solomon Burke from his song, None of Us Are Free, where he says, and it's time for us all to realize that the truth is shining real bright right before our eyes. None of us are free if one of us is chained. And of course, something that I quite often quote from El Haj Malik El Shabazz, more commonly known as Malcolm X, if you're not ready to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. Peace and blessings be upon you. I'm going to finish tonight with a quote from Frederick, Frederick Douglass. He said, I have observed this in my experience of slavery, that whenever my condition was improved, instead of it increasing my contentment, it only increased my desire to be free and set me to thinking of plans to gain my freedom. I have found that to make a contented slave it is necessary to make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision and as far as possible to annihilate the power of reason. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right and he can be brought to that condition only when he ceases to be a man. Frederick Douglass, narrative in the life of Frederick Douglass. I have to apologize for my vocal errors today, but it is very difficult to uh, utter the proper words when you hear yourself about two seconds later in your own ear. <laughs> so it's <laughs> yeah, it does difficult. trip you up. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, you, for being a part of this with me tonight. To our caller, thank you. Jeff. Thank uh, you for having to our listeners. Much appreciated, fam. And to our sponsors and supporters, uh, we are going to close up the evening with Bridging the Gap. It is part two of Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass, and it tells about how Frederick learned to write. And that will be followed by Common from 13, 13th, A Letter to the Free. All right, let me pull this up on here, and we will... See you next week, Sunday, 7 p.m. Abolition today. I was probably between seven and eight years old when I left Captain Anthony to live in Baltimore with Mr. Hugh Ald, my second master. Mrs. Ald was a woman of the kindest heart and finest feeling, but slavery soon proved its ability to divest her of these excellent qualities. Very soon after I went to live with Mr. and Mrs. Ald, she very kindly commenced to teach me the ABC. After I learned these, she assisted me in learning to spell words of three or four letters. Just at this point of my progress, Mr. All found out what was going on and at once forbade Mrs. All to instruct me further, telling her, among other things, that it was unlawful as well as unsafe 
to teach a slave to read. It will forever unfit him to be a slave, he said. He will at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. These words sank deep into my heart. From that moment, I understood the pathway from slavery to freedom. Though conscious of the difficulty of learning without a teacher, I set out with high hope and a fixed purpose at whatever cost of trouble to learn how to read. But now my former teacher became my greatest enemy. She became even more violent in her opposition to my learning to read than her husband himself. She was not satisfied with simply halting my lessons as her husband had commanded. Nothing seemed to make her more angry than to see me with a newspaper. I have had her rush at me with a face made up all of fury and snatch from me a newspaper in a manner that fully revealed her apprehension. The plan which I adopted was that of making friends of the little white boys I met in the street. As many of these as I could, I converted into teachers. With their kindly aid, obtained at different times and in different places, I finally succeeded in learning to read. When I was sent on errands, I always took my book with me, and by going one part of my errands quickly, I found time to get a lesson before my return. I was now about 12 years old, and the thought of being a slave for life began to bear heavily upon my heart. I resolved to run away. I looked forward to a time when it would be safe for me to escape. I was too young to think of doing so immediately. Besides, I wished to learn how to write, as I might have occasion to write my own pass. I consoled myself that I should one day find a good chance. Meanwhile, I would learn to write. The ideas as to how I might learn to write was suggested to me by being in Durgan and Bailey's shipyard and frequently seeing the ship's carpenter, after hewing and getting a piece of timber ready for use, write on the timber the name of that part of the ship for which it was intended. When a piece of timber was intended for the larboard side, it would be marked thus, L. When a piece was for the starboard side, it would be marked thus, S. A piece for the larboard side forward would be marked thus, L, F. When a piece was for the starboard side forward, it would be marked thus, L, A. For starboard aft, it would be marked thus, S, A. I soon learned the names of these letters and for what they were intended when placed upon a piece of timber in the shipyard. I immediately began copying them and in a short time was able to make the four letters named. After that, when I met with any boy who I knew could write, I would tell him I could write as well as he. The next word would be, I don't believe you. Let me see you try it. I would then make the letters which I had been so fortunate as to learn and ask him to beat that. In this way, I got a good many lessons in writing, which is quite possible I should never have gotten in any other way. During this time, my copybook was the board fence, brick wall, and pavement. My pen and ink was a lump of chalk. With these, I learned mainly how to write. I then began and continued copying the letters in Webster's spelling book until I could make them all out without looking at the book. Thus, after a long, tedious effort for years, I finally succeeded in learning how to write, how to write, how to write, how to write, how to write. Southern leaves, southern trees we hung from. Barren souls, heroic songs unsung. Forgive them, Father, they know there's not as undone. Tied with the rope that my grandmother died. Pride of the pilgrims affect lives of millions. Since slave days separating fathers from children. Institution ain't just a building. 
but a method of having black and brown bodies filled them. We ain't seen as human beings with feelings. Will the U.S. ever be us, Lord willing? But now we know the new Jim Crow to stop, search, and arrest stop souls. Police and policies patrol, philosophies of control. A cruel hand taking hold. We let go to free them so we can free us. America's moment to come to Jesus. Things for freedom to ring Black bodies being lost in the American dream Blood of black being A pastoral scene Slavery still alive Check Amendment 13 Not whips and chains Are subliminal Instead of nigger They use the word criminal Sweet land of liberty Incarcerated country Shot me with your ray gun And now you want to trump me Prison is a business America's a company Investing in the justice Fear and long suffering we staring in the face of hate again, the same hate they say will make America great again. No consolation prize for the dehumanized, for America to rise is a matter of black lives. And we gon' free them so we can free us, America's moment to come to Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. 